It is good to hear hundreds of people talking about Jesus. That's one of the reasons that we freed up some space out there. And uh, as things open up a little more and you have more freedom to have some of those uh, conversations within six feet of one another, we look forward to just hearing the rumbles of what God is doing in relationships. Today's message is all about relationships, the relationship between the vine and the branch and the fruit. We'll explain those metaphors in just a minute. Get your Bibles open, John chapter 15. We're just settling into these 17 verses or so for about seven weeks and just wrapping our minds around what Jesus has to say about abiding. We've talked about abiding. Um, I trust that uh, you have taken some steps in abiding. Um, if you've been so wrapped up in abiding with Jesus that you've kind of missed what's going on in the world, um, there are a few things going on. And I, how many of you are signed up for the 100-day Bible reading plan and you're, you're working your way through that? And uh, if you're a little behind, that's okay. Some of you need to cram 100 days into 1,000 days. That's okay. If you need to spread it out, that's fine. No shame. Just keep going with us here. But some of you have really disciplined yourself. You're spending hours a day. You've turned off technology. You may not be aware. There's a few things that are going on since we launched the 100 days. Uh, there's a Supreme Court uh, seat vacancy that is available, and uh, one of our local residents here has been nominated to fill that seat, proving once again that the South Bend community is the epicenter of world politics and uh, all things uh, related to that. Um, there is, let's see, what's uh, there was a debate uh, that went on uh, in recent days about uh, these two presidential candidates that want to fill a seat there, and then uh, what else? Um, President's sick, and um, uh, he's hospitalized. So listen, all of those things should concern you. Those should be matters of prayer. But as disciples of Jesus, we view all of those things through the lens of this thing. And so into all of that, Jesus speaks. And this is what he says in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, and that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Everybody underline the word clean in verse 3. You say, Trent, I have keep, all my words are now underlined because you keep telling me to underline verses. And so this is very rich content here. Already you are clean. We're going to come back to that. Because of the word, underline the word, word, that I have spoken, underline the word spoken, uh, we're going to talk about that. Because of the word that I have spoken to you, verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. What does that make you? A stick. That's right. You're ahead of me, aren't you? You're a stick. That's what Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Everybody hold up the universal symbol of how much you can do apart from Christ. That's you without Christ. You're a donut hole without Christ. And so uh, we need to be attached to the vine. He says... Um, he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers 
and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned tragically. But verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we've talked about this word abide, we understand it has these meanings. It means to remain. Judas, one of the disciples, had fled from Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to depart from the disciples. He looks at them and says, guys, don't go anywhere. Remain. Stay with me. He's like, but you're leaving. Yeah, but stay with me. It means to continue with Christ. And that is the same command to us, to remain. Don't be tempted to flee. Don't be tempted to run. Don't detach from Jesus. No matter what's going on in the world, remain. And then it means to unite. This is the doctrine of union with Christ. Very powerful truth. Christ abides in me, and I abide in Christ. It's union with Christ. And then it means to dwell, which really is an action word. It means to settle down in, make your home in, rest, live inside of all that Christ is for you. And we talked about the relationship between the vine, the branches, the stick, and uh, the fruit. And last week, uh, we said that every branch that bears fruit is going to get what? It's going to get pruned. And so these four different baskets represent four types of people. And all four of them are mentioned in the parable there. He says there are some Branches that bear no fruit. If you are this, you don't see any fruit, any fruitfulness, any life flowing from Christ, you need, it's because you are not connected to Christ. You need to come and get connected to Christ so that you can bear some fruit. And this is some of you. We have three grapes down in here. Uh, there was one that popped out in 1997. There was another one that popped out in 2004. And then there was one that appeared last January. That's not great. You're alive. There's some fruit, but Jesus wants us to bear more fruit, and so we're growing. And eventually, if we will allow the pruning, which will happen, we will have abundant fruit. We want to be this, right? So in order to be that, then what we need is to understand the connection between the vine, we don't have the vine here because we, we had to cut it off for the illustration purpose. We couldn't bring the vine in. So we have a branch and we have fruit. You're the stick. This is the fruit. Now we need to understand what the fruit is, okay? So we haven't really defined what the fruit is. The New Testament tells us there's five different kinds of fruit. So we want to look at those very quickly, okay? Now, by the way, I've got this fancy new screen up here. It allows me to put tons of content on here. And some of you note takers are going to be frustrated. I see you out there. This is not, you don't have to study for a test, okay? As a matter of fact, the best stuff I say don't, doesn't ever make it up on the screen. So you, you just write down what the Spirit of God says to write down. But we are going to blaze through the New Testament here, look at five different kinds of fruit. You ready for the first one? Here it is. It is the fruit of repentance. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bear fruit. Do you notice this is a command? Isn't that interesting? He says that fruit is a command. 
It's like I'm supposed to just, I'm just a stick. Yeah, but there's something that we can do to cultivate the fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with, what's that word? Repentance. Repentance is the first fruit. Don't try to produce any other kind of fruit until you have repented of sin. What is repentance? It's simply this teaching. We are all born into the world headed in one direction. We're all moving away from God and towards sin, towards self. The Lord speaks to us, shows us our sin, convicts us of sin, and we repent. To repent means you pivot and you turn your back on sin, you turn your back on self, and you start moving toward God. You start following Christ. That's what it means to repent. If you have never done that, I plead with you, do not leave this building until you stop and see one of our pastors go to the cross out there, find one of us, and say, today I have heard the voice of Jesus. I am turning, I'm repenting of sin, and I'm becoming a Christ follower. That is the first fruit of a true disciple. Here's another one. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, many of you are familiar with, this is a very common verse, very famous verse here, and a lot of people will make the mistake of calling calling these things the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. But that's not what it says. It says the fruit of the Spirit. One fruit which produces all kinds of varieties. The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you wish your children would demonstrate a little more of that? How many of you wish your parents would demonstrate a little more of that? How many of you wish your presidential candidates would produce a little more of this? All of that. Now listen, if this stuff is not flowing out of you, the, the thing to do is not try harder. The thing to do is abide in Christ. Because these are not things you do. These are things you are because of what you do to abide in Christ. And we need to understand that. By the way, you say, well, why is there nine of these things? Well, think about a fruit. Think not a grape. Think about a citrus fruit. Think about a grapefruit. Do you like grapefruit? I don't like grapefruit. It's too bitter. Anyway, that's a commentary. That's not, don't, don't write that down. Um, but a grapefruit, if you slice it in half and you show it, what do you see? You see sections, don't you? You see? The fruit of the Spirit has all kinds of different sections in it. And all of these things flow out of the life of a person who abides in Christ. Here's another one. It's the fruit of righteousness. Now, if the fruit of the Spirit has to do with my attitudes, kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control, then the fruit of righteousness has to do with my actions. Walk. Do you see the action word there? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit for every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So God wants to change not only my attitudes, but my action. There's visible, demonstrable, behavioral change because I'm abiding in Christ. And then the fruit of our lips, which is the fruit of praise. Notice Hebrews chapter 13. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge His name. 
You understand the power of praise comes not because of the beat of the song or the cool rhythm or, or, or the melody. The fruit of our praise comes from acknowledging who God is. It is singing back to God who He has revealed Himself to be. And notice it's a sacrifice. Sacrifices are often painful and costly. Do you understand that the fruit of our lips, the fruit of our praise, often requires us to get our eyes off of the pain that we're going through and say, God, I don't understand why you're letting this happen. I don't understand why you're pruning me. I don't understand the purpose, but I choose to praise you. It's a sacrifice of praise. And then the fruit of the gospel. The gospel, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, is bearing fruit and increasing. This is the desire of my heart that Gospel City Church would see the fruit of the gospel in our community the way that the Apostle Paul saw it in the city of Colossae, that it was increasing and it was bearing fruit, that because the gospel was on your lips and you were demonstrating it in your life, the community at large would say, there's something going on there. There is something to be believed and they would lean in and be changed by the gospel. That happened in the book of Acts. You know, in the book of Acts, we read the story about how the gospel was multiplying and increasing. 3,000 people saved and 5,000 people saved. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says this, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. How many of you would like to see this verse be the headline in the paper sometime in the South Bend Tribune? That God's word was was penetrating into the dark places in our community, into the factories and into the retail offices and into the schools and, and into some of the churches and buildings that have church on their sign but are not really churches because the Word of God has been lost. This is what we want for our city, for our world. Is this what you want? All right, now notice, notice carefully, this is Acts 6-7. Let's find out what we have to do in order to see this headline. Let's go back three verses and notice what the apostles did. We will devote ourselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of the Word. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, is that what you would expect? You would expect it to say they devoted themselves to evangelism. They devoted themselves to trying to get prayer in school. They devoted themselves to trying to get the right Supreme Court justice on the, on the bench. They, they devoted themselves to, you know, the campaign. No. The apostles to whom Jesus spoke in John 15 did what Jesus told them to do. To get His words in their heart and to get His words on their lips so that they devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That is how you develop a relationship. Abiding 
requires disciplined, relational communication. Do you see it? God speaking His Word to us. Jesus says, abide in my words and ask my words getting into His ears. That's the way that you develop intimacy. Fruit bearing is all about the relationship between the vine and the branch and the fruit. Let me ask you this. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you want to be. All right, so I'll give you, I'll give you a little dating tips here, okay? It's all, about, it's all about relationship, and relationship is all about communication. Relationships develop through a self-disclosure and the exchange of words. If you're not married, you have permission to write this down. Relationships develop through self-disclosure and an exchange of words. Now, if that's true in human relationships, that is true in the divine human relationship. Abiding is the communication, the relationship between the vine and the branch, and that intimacy happens through communication. If I were to ask you to describe your relationship with your wife, I'll just talk to the guys. Describe your relationship with your wife. Now, now I know what you would do. You would scramble to think of adjectives that describe your wife. She's beautiful. She's so caring. She's so loving. She's so forgiving. Now, all of those things may be true, but that would not be a description of the relationship. That would be a description of your wife. To describe the relationship, you would have to describe things you do together as you abide. We talk together. We work together. We spank our kids together. We spend money together. We read books together. We fix meals together. We eat together. You see, that's the relationship, right? So here's the deal as we apply that to our relationship with God. Some of us are better at describing adjectives about God than we are at building the relationship with Him. It doesn't matter how many adjectives you know about God if you are not abiding in that relationship. And so here's what God has done. God wants intimacy with us. So do you know what He's done? He has chosen to speak. He has chosen to disclose Himself. And guess how He has done that? Throughout history, he has spoken, he has interacted in human relationships, he's disclosed his nature, his holiness, and, 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 and men have written those exchanges down for us. They've been recorded for us on the pages of a book called the Bible. And do you know what the Bible is? We call this the written word of God. And as you read the written Word of God, you're going to read about a particular individual in there named Jesus. 
and we call him the living word of God because Jesus was the ultimate self-disclosure of God. He showed us what God looked like, and he showed us what God looked like in mankind. He showed us what you would look like if you abided in Christ. And so we turn to the words of Jesus and make sure that we are leaning in and listening to what Jesus would have to say to us. We believe that abiding in Jesus builds a relationship through listening to his words and speaking to him our words. Do you read it there? We're just drilling down on this one phrase here where he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. He's inviting us to communicate with him. He's inviting us to listen to him and to lean in. Now, in order to do this, We are going to have to do something very intentional in this relationship. And it's what Christians have called spiritual disciplines. They're kind of these classic activities that are just basic discipleship one-on-one, 101, where we spend time with God listening to Him and speaking to Him. And so we're going to drill down on, on what those two things think. Now, let me tell you how important these things are. Remember, it's all about the relationship between the vine and the branches so that there can be fruit. Relationship between vine, branch, and fruit. Remember, the fruit doesn't get there um, to glorify the branch. It gets there to glorify the vine. You're a straw, okay? You're just something that the life flows through. Um, my relationship with my wife... I, I, guys, a little coaching tip here, husbandry 101, do not ever describe your relationship with your wife as a discipline. Describe your relationship with your wife. Oh, I really have to discipline myself to spend time with her. You know? No, 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 listen. Your relationship, write this down, fellas. Your relationship with your wife is a delight. Just write that down. You put that in the vocabulary. That works later on when you're speaking to your wife, too. I'm coaching myself. I need to write that down. That was good. So um, my relationship with my wife is a delight. However, I have to discipline myself to grow the delight in the relationship. And the same is true with our relationship with Jesus. Anytime you say the word discipline, nobody likes that word. That's a terror. It's like, oh, I just sweat thinking about that word. That just sounds like hard work. But it shouldn't be once you discipline yourself, those disciplines become delight and they become rhythms that are as natural as breathing. Breathe in the words of Jesus. We breathe out the words of Jesus in prayer and we do it over and over. It becomes as, as natural as a heartbeat for those of us who are abiding in Jesus. Let's give us some definition. What are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines can be defined as personal and interpersonal habit patterns practiced by true disciples. First of all, they are personal. You might even say private. An abiding relationship with Jesus requires time alone with Him. 
okay? Now, you can be alone with God while there's other people in the room, but it's harder that way, especially if they're children and especially if they're electronic. So, we can build a relationship with Jesus in private, but it's not enough. If you're at home, I'm so glad you tuned in, you've joined us online, you're so much part of this gathering, but if you have somehow disconnected from church because you think that your relationship with Jesus is this private thing and you don't need other people, then you're only getting half of the discipline because it's also interpersonal. I need other people to help me in my spiritual disciplines and these practices. When I didn't grow up going to church, got saved when I was about 15, was about 16, I really got interested in like knowing the Bible and, and I discovered uh, two things about myself that was really a hindrance to this. Number one, I didn't know how to read. Uh, number two is I was really lazy. And so I had a friend, I've told you about my friend Ray, and turns out he, he was really lazy too. So we, we had this great friendship. And so we decided, like, hey, if we're going to spend time in God's Word, we're going to have to be intentional. And so we decided we're going to get up 30 minutes earlier every day. I'm going to ask you, as a matter of fact, I'm going to call you at 6 o'clock every morning. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to spend time reading God's Word. And so one week it would be my week to call. Next week it would be his week to call. And if it was his week to call and he didn't call, I knew I had to call him because he'd been sleeping. So we kept each other accountable for this. And, and we built this relationship that helped us develop our abiding relationship in the Word of God. Now, I started going to church, and when I got to church, we had this thing there that helped us with the interpersonal relationship too. Um, I'd go to Sunday school, and they would hand me an envelope. How many of you got envelopes when you're going to kit, going to church? Remember the envelopes? Remember the envelopes? I mean, that was that was that was maybe that's probably not the best thing to stick in your hand when you come to church because it kind of implies we want your money, um, and if you've got money and you want to put it in here, we we've got places to spend it for the glory of God. But the, the, probably the envelope is probably not the best system. But I remember on the envelope, uh, which I hardly ever put anything in there, uh, it had some boxes on the front of it. It said church attendance, and if you were at church. You were supposed to click that, and because you had an envelope, you could always click that one because you were at church when you got the envelope. So you clicked that one. The next one said, um, I think, giving, and it had the amount there, and then it, it, said, um, it said daily Bible reading. So, you know, you lied and checked that one, and then you went on in prayer, and then there was actually a place for you to, like, list the people that you'd presented the gospel to and invited people to church. I mean, it was, it was kind of this, this accountability thing here. So daily Bible reading is super important, um, and we're going to talk about how important that is. But understand, it's a, it's a discipline that helps us to grow the relationship. Here's another thing. Spiritual disciplines are what disciples do. Spiritual disciplines are what disciples do while abiding in Jesus. So, I've made this big deal about how you're a stick, okay? Now, don't think that that means, as a stick... There's nothing for you to do. There's something that you must do to abide in Jesus. The, the Word is very active. Spiritual disciplines are what the stick does. Spiritual disciplines is a biblical way of being more like Jesus. So, the biblical way of being a stick so that you can be more like Jesus is by doing these things that Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? 
He had this intimate relationship with his father. He was always in prayer. He was always walking with God. And he was always downloading God's word for him. That was the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into his heart. And what came out when he prayed and, and when he talked to others was always God's word. So understand that spiritual disciplines are things that we do sometimes so that we can be more like Jesus all of the time. There are specific things that we do. Today, we're specifically talking about prayer and Bible intake. So spiritual disciplines, they require daily decisions. So the fact that you're here today means that you made a decision. Does everybody know that that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision? Does everybody know that? And it's probably Thursday night if you got like 17 kids and stuff, because you got to get ready for this. It's, It's an event. And so if you didn't like decide on Saturday night, you didn't come to church today. Welcome. We're so glad that you joined us online. Um, And next week on Saturday night, decide to come to church on Sunday. We'd love to have you here. If you're ready to come back, we got a place for you. So understand that these are choices that we make. One of my favorite theologians um, is Tom Landry. He was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys for 29 years and was unceremoniously fired by Jerry. Sorry, we'll get into that another time. But, But Tom Landry said this, He said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. That's great theology. The job of spiritual disciplines is to make us do what we don't want to do so that we can achieve what we've always wanted to be. Intimacy with Jesus is what we want to be. Loving, kind, gentle, patient is what we want to be. So we do some things so that that fruit comes out on the end of the stick. Spiritual disciplines must never be divorced from the gospel. Anytime you start talking about spiritual disciplines, I mean, you can get accused of being a legalist so fast. That's not what we're talking about. By the way, I've discovered that most people that want to like slap the label of legalism on people are people that just don't want to be godly. Um, It's like, no, I think we're just talking about godliness is what we're talking about. So understand this. If you divorce the gospel from spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines will become deadly in two ways. If you're doing really great in spiritual disciplines, start patting yourself on the back. Oh, I'm so awesome. Look at all my fruit. Well, guess what? Um, that's pride. And then if you're doing really poorly at spiritual disciplines, oh, I'm just so awful. That's shame. The gospel deals with pride and shame by understanding Jesus has already done everything necessary. We don't do spiritual disciplines to be accepted by God. We do spiritual disciplines because we're already accepted by God. So these are the two things. Getting God's word in me, getting Jesus' words in me, and getting Jesus' words in my prayer. Let's talk about this. Getting Jesus' words in my prayer. Read the Bible. You can write that down. Read the Bible as a book that points to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus claims every word in the Bible is about him? That would be a pretty arrogant statement if Jesus wasn't actually who he claimed to be. 75% of our Bibles was written before Jesus. And he looked at the Bible scholars of his day. He's like, been reading that? You've been reading about me. It's all about me. 
So how many of you, let me, let me look at you. So if, for those of you that don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I challenged our church to read the whole Bible in the last 100 days of 2020. Because I knew there would be some stuff happening in the last 100 days of 2020. I didn't want you to get distracted by it. So I wanted you to get your face in the Bible. So watch this. How many of you in the last week have read the entire book of Leviticus. Raise your hands if you've read the, look at, leave, keep them in the air. All right, some of you, some are like, I'm so proud of myself. No, that wasn't the goal. You're not, see, that's the problem. But you read the whole book of Leviticus, didn't you? And some of you like weeped your way through it. And it's like, why are they making me do this? And some of you, the only response is like, I don't know what I was supposed to get out of this other than the fact that thank God I wasn't born back then. That's part of it. It's supposed to make you long for the day when Jesus shows up and makes all this stuff goes away. All right, so here's the deal. I've told you to read the Bible, but, but go, go, go back. Go, go, we'll, we'll just stay here. No, it's too late. All right, go to the next slide. All right, here's a Leviticus verse. This is Leviticus 15, verse 8. I'm taking a risk right now. Don't, I'm, I'm taking a risk. I may lose my job here. I'm now going to unpack a verse from Leviticus. Leviticus 15, 8. Let's read it. If the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Doesn't that just make you want to burst into song? I mean, where, where are the worship songs that are based off of this verse in the Bible? Now, if you're reading the Bible and you do not understand that everything in the Bible is about Jesus, you could probably say, like, I really want to understand this verse. Uh, okay, well, I want to be a good parent, so maybe I should teach my child not to spit on the other students. Do not, we'll make laws, no spitting. Maybe we could say, well, this is probably about hygiene. This is before microbiology. And so God knew that this was to protect us from viruses and things that are contained in spittle. And so um, maybe that's what it's about. Not, not a bad principle, but maybe it goes a little deeper. So some people would say, well, obviously we're supposed to wear a mask because, I mean, look at all this stuff. We got stuff flying out of people's faces and it's like it's going to make us unclean. We don't want to be unclean. Where is the... the the antibacterial stuff. So, okay, some of you are a little deeper, and you're like, you, you understand a little deeper theology here that clean in Leviticus is not talking about good or bad. It's not a moral or immoral clean or uncleanness. The book of Leviticus is all about the holiness of God. It's all about coming into God's presence. Really, this means presentable. And the whole book of Leviticus is, is trying to help you understand you are not presentable in the holy presence of God. And in order to help you figure that out, you can't just walk in there nonchalantly. We're going to have a lot of hoops you got to go through. Um, and so some of you are like, okay, I'm, I'm just glad that... We don't have to do that. That was Old Covenant, Old Testament. We don't live under that anymore. And so, so glad that was a different time and place. I don't live there. How about this? Are you aware of anyone else in the Bible 
who was spat upon, who was clean. And by being spat upon, became unclean, was treated as if he was unclean, so unclean that God turned his back on him so that those who spat upon him could be made clean and washed. You say, well, how do you know that's the right interpretation? Because of what I read in verse 3 of John 15. Do you see what Jesus says? Already you are clean. Why? Not because of some Levitical code, but what did he say? Because of the word I have spoken to you. And with those few words, Jesus fulfilled all of the book of Leviticus and became the true and better high priest. He became the true and better temple because he says, I am the true vine, which was symbolic of the nation of Israel that had to go through all this stuff. He's like, no, you don't have to do that. You just have to abide. You just have to connect. And in the connection, in the relationship, you are clean because of my word. So we have to read the Bible as a book that points to Jesus. Secondly, let's read the Bible in its context. You don't read the book of Leviticus the way that you read the book of John. They were written thousands of years apart to two different types of people, and you have to understand the context and the history. You have to ask who wrote this, who's he writing it to, what questions is he trying to answer. You just read it differently in the same way that you don't read the comics the way that you read the sports page unless your team reminds you of what's in the comics. So anyway, that's another thing there. Here's the last thing. Read it interactively, all right? So here, here's the thing. You, in interacting with the Bible, you have to ask the Bible questions. So here's a question you would ask the Bible. You should, you should say, you read a verse, it's like, is there a sin to confess? Write that down. Is there a promise to claim? Write that down. Is there a truth to believe? Write that down. Is there an error to avoid? Is there an example to follow? Is there a command to obey? Is there something to praise God for? You write that down. For me, I have to keep a journal. I have to have a pen moving. Um, doesn't work for me really well with electronic things because I get distracted by uh, the things that pop up on my electronic things. And so this is how we abide in the words of Jesus. Let's flip it around. What about getting Jesus' words in my prayers so that my prayers get in the ears of Jesus? First of all, understand in doing this, it prevents me from praying the same old things. So we've told you how to do this. When we pray around here, we pray with an open Bible. This is what you do. You wrap the concerns of your heart around the words of Scripture, and you pray those back to God. It gives you a new vocabulary. Um, if you're like me, you have a prayer list. You got people on your prayer list. You got you know, people you're praying for because you like them. You got people you're praying for because you don't, right? And you pray different things for the different people. But after a while, it's like you kind of run out of things to say. 
God bless him. Would you be with him? God, would you um, show him your presence? God, would you be kind to him? Would you be gracious to him? And God, would you eliminate him? You know, so you, you, after a while, you're kind of running out of things. And then you'd like, you know, God, he never forgets, right? So God, did you hear me what I said yesterday? That's what I'd like you to do again today. And then pretty soon you just kind of get bored with prayer. But if every day you're reading a different section of Scripture and then you are reading it in a way to get Jesus' words in you so that Jesus' words get in your prayers so that your prayers get in the ears of Jesus, now do you know what you have? You have a conversation. You have an exchange of words and the relationship between the vine and the branch produces fruit. It's all about the relationship between the vine, the branch, and the fruit through self-disclosure and exchange of words. It ensures that I'm praying God's will. Um, Romans 8, 26, this is one of my favorite verses. You do not know what you ought to pray. I'm like, thank you. I knew that. God, I don't know what to pray. I'm not smart enough. I would, I'm probably praying the wrong things. And so the good news of that verse is this. It says, the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that, that's not our groanings. It's not that you just get in front of God and groan. That's the Spirit's groaning, which means He's translating my feeble attempts to pray into something that is discernible and answerable from God. God answers every prayer. Did you know that? He either gives you what you asked or He gives you what you would have asked if you had all the right information. He answers every prayer and because the Spirit interprets that. It turns prayer into a conversation and it makes my prayer more about God and less about me. So we've established this. The Bible is not a book about me. And my prayers need to be less about me. Prayer is not so much to change what God does. Prayer is about God changing me. It's this conversation between me and God. And once I see Jesus revealed in Scripture, I respond in worship and praise and humility and confession of sin and thanking God. And then, God, would you change me and produce in me the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. God, that's what I want in my life. Produce that kind of fruit for your glory, not mine. Now, as we finish today, um, you've heard us talk about this discipleship pathway that we're on. Four words, four Gs. You got them figured out now? Everybody know what they are? A, a, a glorifying disciple around here does what? He glorifies, gathers, grows, and goes. So let's talk about growing. We, we're talking about growing fruit. This is what we're doing. We want to give you another tool to help you grow. And it all has to do with your conversations with uh, the Lord Jesus. And this this is what it's called. We're calling it the personal discipleship tool. And all it is is a series of questions. It's an interactive tool where you can evaluate the fruit and ask God to produce more fruit in your life. It's got five different categories. Spiritual health, relational health, stewardship of time, talent, treasure, 
stewardship of my mind and my body, and living scent, which are all conversations that we have around here all the time. Now, that tool is designed to be both personal and interpersonal. We can use it alone with God. Just simply ask us some questions. You're going to be able to download these things. I think the thing's on the screen now. You can download this thing. You're going to see it in emails coming at you. We're going to use it in small groups. And we're going to, I'm going to challenge you to use it in groups smaller than small groups. This could be the discussion starter at your family meal. Do you remember those? They used to have family meals. Do you remember when the children used to show up? If you feed them, they still show up. And you just like you're not getting the food until we go through the personal discipleship tool. And we're going to ask you a few questions. And, and these are questions that children can ask their parents. And this are questions that, that husbands and wives can talk about. And, and two men can get together and do this. This is something you can use with an unbeliever to say, hey, can we go to lunch? And I just, I just want to talk to you about some of the things in my life that are related to Jesus. And so we're going to provide this to you. It's not a perfect tool. And I also want to tell you, it's, this is not the personal discipleship club Okay? You don't use this to beat somebody else over the head with. Okay? This is just simply a discussion starter so that you can begin to say, where do you want to grow in your discipleship? What kind of fruit do you want to see in your life in the next 12 weeks? And how can I be praying for you so that that happens? And what'd you read in Scripture? And where'd you see Jesus in all those things? Those are the types of questions on this tool, and we're going to be using it um, in the coming weeks. Would you stand with me right now? Micah's and Sam, you're going to come out, and we're going to finish this time in, um, in singing. I caught Micah off guard because we didn't do this in the last service, but he's coming quickly now uh, to lead us uh, in this time. As he's coming, why don't you bow your heads? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your love for us, and more than that, your love for your own glory. And somehow that you would disclose yourself through your word, through your son. Your word, the Bible, is a magnifying glass that helps us to view the things that we see in the headlines, the things that we see in our lives through the lens of Scripture. And I pray, God, that our response to these things would be to glorify and magnify you. Lord, would you prevent us from the shame that comes when we're failing in our disciplines, prevent us from the pride that comes when we're succeeding. Lord, we realize that you've done everything necessary. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet, when we abide in you, we can do greater things than the world has ever seen because we're abiding in your power. Would you do that in and through our church? We long to see the gospel being multiplied, the word of God increasing in our community. And, and Lord, we pray for all of the different um, things that our hearts are burdened for. We pray for our president. We pray for um, both presidential candidates. We pray for those in government. We pray for our local leaders. We pray for your will to be done in that Supreme Court seat. Lord, more than anything, we pray for God-glorifying worship to be ignited in the hearts of your people, producing righteousness in our nation that glorifies you. We pray it all for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.